0: All right, hey, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. If we've never met, my name's Mark, come meet me afterwards. Come talk with Zach and I. We love it. We've got new faces that come in and out, you know, quite a bit, so we love meeting you guys. We're going to be in Romans 12. Romans 12. I shall pray, and we will get started. Sound good. All right. God just as we uh we come to this chapter kind of concluding uh, some heavy chapters on Israel we just uh pray that we would um we'd be refreshed in this exhortation now for for the Christian church for us for those that have professed a faith in you and so we just pray that you would go to work on our hearts as you've gone to work on mine and um that we would all be mindful that that even if we've gone through this passage even if we've heard this passage declared from the pulpit over and over and over again um that, that we have something new to learn, that we have um, an infinite, an infinite word before us. And so I just pray that you would strike a new chord in the hearts of all of us, myself included, that we would see this in a new and transformative way, um, Jesus, because it's about you, it's not about us. Please remove that from anyone, even before we start, that this passage, that this chapter would be about us. It's it's about you, and so I pray that I'm faithful to steer us in that direction as a teacher. Please give me the uh, the... the the grace to preach, and for those that are here, um, the grace to learn from you. And so we love you, we praise you, can't wait to see you again. Amen. So chapter 12, as I said, 9, 10, 11, all these old texts are coming in on my iPad. My goodness, I don't even know how to stop it. Holy smokes. Don't start the video yet, this is an awful beginning. Oh, it's like super old texts are coming on my eye. IP- oh, that's why. Forget the Wi-Fi. Hold on. This thing's pumping Wi-Fi. No. You kids these days in your paper. Uh-uh. No, no. no There it is. Okay, that's why I was doing it. Normally I don't have Wi-Fi turned on. All right, reset. All right, so look, for since 9, 10, 11, we've been in some heavy chapters, mainly about Israel, haven't we? And you made it, congrats, you survived, right? Like just thickness, Israel's rejection, just paragraph after, paragraph after paragraph after paragraph after paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. Like Israel's rejection, God's judgment, God's mercy, God's not done with them. We see all this. And then at the end of last week, we see Paul kind of turn into this, this praise as he's coming to the end of these heavy chapters. And now in this chapter, he turns to the church, Right, and so it's been. I hope it's been fun. It's been fruitful. I hope some of you have had your your view of Israel change, perhaps particularly um, last week in terms of God not being done with Israel's. A lot of times we'd like to write them off and say, "Well, they were the old; we are the new." Um, it's all over now for the Jews, and we saw that 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 covenant that He made with them is enveloping the new covenant, a better covenant. The Bible says we're in a better covenant. Don't get me wrong, right? But God's not done with Israel, but we've been coming through some of these thick passages and predestination and righteousness and judgment in Israel and salvation. And then we come to this chapter, and Paul resets his focus, and he goes for the church, and that's us. And when I say the church, I mean the capital C church. Some of you haven't heard this, okay? There are little C churches. You're sitting in one, but there is the capital C church, which is all of those who are saved under the banner of Christ. Okay, and so there is one church that God has made a new covenant with, and that is Christians, okay? And we serve and we, we love and we adore the, the the local lowercase c church, but Paul is declaring now to the capital C church, okay, some truths now that, that have ramifications after this understanding of who God is and how he operates and how he's dealt with Judaism and how he's dealing with the coming Christ, and, and, and so all those ideas Paul has, has, has gotten us through, he turns to some praise, and then now he turns to the church. And so now he's exhorting, as a good pastor does, he's exhorting, not only teaching them on, on God's true and righteous word as it relates to Israel, but now he has to press into us, he has to pour into us as well, and so this is that chapter where he makes that hint and where he makes that turn. And so the focus is not on Israel as it's been for the last couple weeks and trying to understand how that all works. It's back on us, and Paul is nothing if not practical. That's what I love about Paul. He's just nitty-gritty, gets to it. He's a fan of lists. You're going to see that, which I identify with. He likes to just rail through a bunch of stuff as we're going to get through. We're going to sit for a long time on the first couple verses of this, Right, and then we'll we'll kind of tear through the rest of it. But I think I'll show. I, I hope to show you why I want to do that because this this first part is really kind of really really meaty, and then we'll kind of get into the what and the, some of the how with the last parts. But we're going to be taking a look at this concept of sacrifice. This concept of sacrifice. Now we know in the Old Testament that sacrifice was a daily part. Was a, was a daily ritual, was a weekly ritual that says that blood poured from the temple profusely. It just nonstop. It was this public I don't know. It was this public, they didn't have like a secret tunnel where you brought your sacrifices into the secret room or no it was a public bringing of your best before God. Public. It was a public declaration. The city's were built around the temples. At one point in America, cities were built around the church, not so much anymore, but they were. The church was at the center and and the temple in the early days under under Israel's rule, the temple was at the was at the center and so people would publicly bring their sacrifice for all to see, believers, non-believers, Greek, Jew, and they would bring these public sacrifices. Before God and it was this realization that they had a faith that was active and it moved and it was public and it was in front of people and they carried it to the temple for all to see. yeah it wasn't I'm intolerant you have to do that somewhere else and you can't I can't come face to face with your faith and so there was none of that. it was this open profession and this idea of sacrifice was huge in the Old Testament. But we know that we don't do that anymore, right? Praise Jesus. Who's excited we're not killing a goat tonight? Anyone? Okay. I I praise God every day born after, you know, Jesus came. Every day. Just stoked to not be in the Old Testament if you've ever read it. Okay. Not excited about that. The Bible says it's a better covenant now. Why? Because Jesus was slaughtered. We don't slaughter goats anymore. Why? Because Jesus was slaughtered once and for all as our ultimate sacrifice. But what Paul's talking about is not necessarily that. He's going to present to us this new concept of sacrifice. And I wrote down a couple because we we actually sacrifice our bodies, our entire being, a lot. We sacrifice all that we are a lot daily. I would submit that we do. We sacrifice, some of you are just coming out of sacrificing your health and well-being and mental stability after four years of college. Some I mean, of you are still in it, and you pour out, you sacrifice all that you are into school. Because, you know, I just got to buckle down, I got to hit four years, I got to be hardcore, I got to get the best grades possible. By the way, employers don't really care about your grades. Anyways, and so it's just like, it, just like I got to give everything I have to say. And your health deteriorates, and people struggle, and they talk about the freshman because people... You know, they gain weight or people go into sports and then now they're sacrificing their body both to academics, to sports, maybe mostly to sports and their academics fail. And we we offer all of who we are, our mind, our body, our soul into school. Alcohol. Which the Bible doesn't say is a bad thing. It's a dangerous thing. Drugs. Some people sacrifice their entire well-being into a culture of drug use, habitual drug use. We sacrifice all of who we are into relationships. Ladies think that as soon as I get married, then I can really kind of focus on some faith stuff. We pour everything into those relationships. Sacrifice all men do it too. Into jobs. I have to be careful about this. I was just talking with Jim Mather before this. Look, I work 15 to 17 hours a day. I don't have, I have an 8 to 5 job, and then I have three side businesses. And I have a family. And I've got a wife. And I've got ministry. I have to be careful. I work 5.30 to 10.30. Now, not all of it's exactly work. I get up at 5.30, I go to the gym. That's a little bit of me time. I have dinner with the family. I've got fitness boot camp stuff. I've got side businesses. I'm packing orders. Okay, on Saturday night, most of you guys were having a good time. I was at the post office shipping orders for my clothing company at 11 last night. Okay, I work, work maybe 12 to 15 hours. I'm up 15 to 17, 5.30 to 10.30 every day. I pour myself into that. I have to constantly remind myself that that is not my God. But I do sacrifice a lot. I've got video games, sports, hobbies. Food. We pour out our bodies in sacrifice to a whole host of things. A whole host of things. And Paul's going to exhort us here as we begin in chapter 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so he's going to launch into this topic of living sacrifice. And he, he begins by saying, by the mercies of God. See, this is the why before the what. The Bible always does that. It doesn't matter the author. It's amazing. If you look through scripture, there is never a time to say, do this, do this, do this, without telling you why first. It's a maggot. It's almost like a really smart guy wrote the Bible. Okay, like wicked smart. He was like, never let it become legalism where you just do something because you were told to. Let it be established first why you should be convinced and compelled and happy to do things. And he says it right there. He says, the mercies of God. Now, keep in mind, this whole letter is one constant letter. There weren't chapters when he wrote it. He's gone over some mercies already that he hopes, if you're sitting down and reading this in one fail swoop, that you would remember some of them sound like this, that we, were, that we are elected by Jesus. Elected by Jesus, and we went over this. How do you know if you're elect? Do you love Jesus? Any questions? But when does it, doesn't matter. Don't spend time focusing on that or fighting on that. Scholars do it. They spend their whole lives fighting about when and how, and when did he, did he elect the people that he knew would choose him? Did they choose him, and then he was elected? Then, it doesn't matter. If you love Jesus, you're elect. Done. If you love Jesus, you're elect. That's how you know. And that should compel you. That should excite you. That should get you charged up. That you've been elected. That we were justified by Jesus. This is another mercy. It's a legal term. All of us born, you need to know this. This is very contrary to the world. Contrary to the world. The world says, look, everyone's born good, and you mess up sometimes. That is the prevailing thought. Everyone is born good, at worst, neutral. At worst, neutral. But most people believe you are born good and you screw up sometimes. The Bible doesn't allow for it. It says we're all born guilty. Guilty. The Bible says children of wrath. They're cute and cuddly and I got a five-month-old little baby girl and she's just the cutest little sinner you've ever met. Right? Right? Just came out of the womb, screaming and selfish, cared nothing that mom just had her for 10 months inside of her. It was tired, wanted a nap. No, Maisie came out, I want food. Selfish little sinner. Cute, but such a sinner. All of us born guilty. Born guilty, but then justified by Jesus. For those who place their faith in him, Jesus says, then I've got you covered. For those that place their faith in him, Jesus says, I've got you covered. And remember, I've talk, I think I talked about this last week. The Bible says that the father judges no one. He's committed all judgment to the son. So you're going to stand before Jesus, not God the father. And if it's on anything other than what he's done, you don't get in. That's very divisive. I know. So you're going to stand before Jesus and say, I put my faith in what you've done. And Jesus says, enter in then. Because he absorbed all judgment, therefore he's the only one that gives, gets to give it back out. So we've been justified, Jesus says, if you're in me, if you're in me, your sin is covered, it's, compl- it's over, it's done, it's been defeated. We've been justified by Jesus, we've been adopted by Jesus. The language in the Bible over and over and over is adoption, so many times adoption. That we have our earthly families, and some of us don't, but regardless whether you do or you don't, we have a heavenly family. We have a heavenly father. I pray everyone has a good earthly father, but if you don't, know that you have a good heavenly father that will never let you down. So we've been adopted this familial language. So you've not just been justified, right? So if you're a judge, you'd be like, look, you're innocent, go away. You're done, like, next case, Right? Thank goodness it doesn't just end with justification. He says, you're innocent, and I want you to be in my family. These are the mercies that compel us, that persuade us into being a living sacrifice. So we've been elected by Jesus, justified by Jesus. We've been adopted by Jesus. We're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. Thank goodness. Anyone here terrible at keeping the law? Two. Good luck with that. Can't even keep traffic law. You think you think you're keeping Old Testament and New Testament law? Are you kidding me? Never done 66 on the 101. Be quiet. Yes, you have. Government says Bible says right. Subject to all authorities. It says 65. You do 66. You're guilty in God's eyes too. Right? Just think about that. You ever jaywalked? Right. You ever you ever changed lanes without a blinker? I know because I ride a bike. I watch you do it. Right? We're no longer under the law. It doesn't mean the law doesn't matter. What it says is that's no longer the standard of righteousness. But it's now grace. And so he's poured out these graces upon us. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's what makes a Christian. What makes a Christian is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have that now. We have help in all affliction. These are all things Paul's already gone over. We have help in all affliction. You know that? Jesus will care for you amid all affliction. Better than I can. Better than Zach can. Better than this church as a community can. Better than your parents can. Better than your friends can. Better than your counselor can. Certainly better than your professor can. Certainly better than your boss can. Jesus will care for you in all affliction. Again, these are the mercies that compel us we have a certainty of coming glory. Do you know that? Do you know the Bible says that we're going to get a body like Jesus has a body. That these bodies, which are slowly breaking down, despite some of you that think you're just getting more epic, right? I've been there. I'm 35 now, realizing I was wrong, okay? <laughs> Lingering back thing for like two weeks now, okay? That stuff used to heal itself in like four minutes, right? Anyone hurt yourself sleeping? Who's done that? Don't lie. You slept wrong, you woke up, you went to work like this. Like, what did you do, man? Were you in a wrestling match? No, I slept weird. You come out limping, right? Like, Ethan did it yesterday. He like, he's like, I sat on my leg wrong. I'm like, you're six, homie. Right? Like, like, oh. Our bodies are breaking down. The Bible says we're going to have perfect bodies. I can't wait for that. Right? We're going to have perfect bodies. We're going to have glorification like Jesus had glorification. We have confidence. That we can never be separated from the love of God. It's a big one. You can't hear it enough in church. If you think you've heard it enough, you didn't hear it. It's that no matter what you do, Zach and I love preaching this, it's no matter what you do, you cannot do anything or not do anything that would make God love you any less than he already does. It's simply not possible. simply not possible for God to love you any more or any less than he already and always has can't be done some of you drag a bunch of stuff like man i just want to get back in god's good graces he looks at you and says you're already there i can't love you anymore nothing you do against me will cause you to love cause me to love you any less and paul's gone over this is one of the mercies that will never be separated from that kind of love it's unconditional we don't really know that apart from the parental child divide but there's even some of that in the world Kids sue their parents, and we've had kids divorce their parents for crying out loud. Like, unconditional. These are the mercies that compel us. We have a total confidence in God's continued faithfulness. And so when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, these are the mercies that he's talking about. This is the why. Not because you first loved him. Paul doesn't hey, I beseech you, because you're awesome and you chose God, now you need to snap it together a little bit. No, it's by the mercy that's already been poured out on you. The grace that's been poured out on you. The mercy that's withhold judgment from you. He says, these are the compelling things in the Christian walk. Is that God has given us so much already before, and though we will never deserve any of it, He's given us all these things, elected, justified, adopted, no longer under the law but grace and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, helping all affliction, the certainty of coming glory, the confidence in no separation from the love of God, and the confidence in God's continued faithfulness. And because of these mercies, because of these mercies, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And body refers to the whole being. This was crazy for the Greeks to hear because they disconnected the spiritual things from the physical things. They didn't believe any part of physicality could be holy or spiritual or worthy before God. So there was, there was the spiritual side, but the physical side was completely disconnected. Do whatever you want on that side. Just make sure your heart's in the right place. And a lot of Christians fall into that nonsense. It's almost Gnosticism. It says God can't have anything to do with the physical. He doesn't have a call to the physical. And we've even started to separate this in the Christian church. Like, well, my heart's in the right place. I'm saved by grace. I feel all the right feels. It's all about the feels. Right? But, yeah, but physically, but I'm dirty physically. It doesn't really much matter. Saved by grace. Right? And Paul writes, should we just continue in sin so that grace may abound? Right? If we should, if it's if God's grace is poured out on our sin, then we should just be sinning like crazy. That means more grace. He says, certainly not. And he says, he says here, he says, present your bodies. And he's talking about your whole body. That's why Jesus in Luke 10, 27 said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. All of you. All of you. Love the Lord God with your heart, with your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Body refers to our entire being. The world says it's your body. Your body controls you. And I'll tell you, as a nutrition coach and a fitness instructor at CLU, I preach the same thing to my students. I said, Look, you've come in here responding to what your body wants to do. I have to reverse that. Your body says, I'm hungry. To be honest, it's probably triggered. It's probably not actually hungry. You've just been triggered into thinking that you're hungry even though you just ate. But what it wants is more sugar, more salt. It's been tricked into thinking it's hungry. I'll teach you about true hunger. I'll teach you about true empty hunger. But a lot of people come and they say, well, when my body feels this way, then I react. Rather than having your mind dominate your body. And you hear us mind over matter. You hear that cliche thing, right? But the world tells you, you listen to your body. Look, you've got urges, You act. And make us out to be like the last link in the evolutionary chain. We're just barely short of barbaric animals. You listen to your body. Your body says this, you go. You do. Feels this, you go with it. This is contrary to what the world would think. As Christians, we need to understand. As Christians, I'm speaking to the church. Paul's speaking to the church. As Christians, I'm not speaking to anyone who hasn't professed a faith. And what Jesus has done, Christian, if I have your attention because you're a Christian, you're in Christ, I need to tell you that your body is not yours. You came here thinking, you, you, you've, you've heard all the feminist crazy, you've heard all the, the, the masculinist crazy, the, you, you've heard all the, you look, it is your body. This is the, I mean, of all the things, this is yours, which you get. the Bible disagrees. It disagrees with chauvinism. It disagrees with feminism. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price. If I buy something, is it still yours? Is it at the store's? It's mine, right? I bought this Bible. Who owns this Bible? The store that sold it to me? Christian Family Supplies in Camarillo? They're like, well, but we gave it to you. We can still do it. No. I bought this Bible, did I not? This is mine. The Bible says, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Together. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I don't know if I could be any more clear than that. Despite chauvinism, despite feminism, if you're a Christian, the Bible says your body belongs to God, not you. I'm a little uncomfortable. That's what the Bible is intended to do. If you're comfortable, you're not reading it correctly. Your body is God's. Your body, my body, as a Christian, indwelled with the Holy Spirit, is now God's. Just as I get to underline in this book, and bend it, and you guys see that I carry it weird, and I get to do what I please with this? Why? It's because I purchased it. I couldn't do this in the store. Like, well, I like to fold, so let me check if this is going to work, right? Imagine, I'm just over at Christian Supply Company. Like, let me see if this thing's going to handle. I preach pretty weird, right? Pretty hardcore up there. Lots of yelling, okay? What happens? Right? You break it, you buy it. And so our bodies now, the Bible says, are God's, for him to do as he pleases. If you agree with that, terrific. If you don't, I need you to pray on that tonight. If you don't dig that, it is not a conversation between you and me. You are not disagreeing with me. You are disagreeing with God. Okay? Your body is God's. Right? Does that set the tone? Our bodies Are now God's. The body is a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. The body can be used as a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. And he says, living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. This is day in, this is day out, this is Monday morning, this is Monday at lunch, this is Monday evening and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, still going, and Friday, and Saturday, and some of you just thought it's basically just Sunday. Day in, living sacrifices, holy, which means set apart, not separated, set apart, and acceptable. So the question is begged, it's very simple. Are we bringing acceptable sacrifices to God? This is not for shame or condemnation, this is for the Holy Spirit to go to work in conviction. I said it before the Spirit, Holy Spirit is in charge of conviction, Satan is in charge of condemnation. That we would be convicted to take a look at our lives and say, are we with our bodies, which are owned by God, presenting publicly publicly sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to him. Every one of us fails, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Every every pastor on the planet fails at this. Every parishioner on the planet fails at this. This is a process of sanctification. God doesn't have a goal for you. He has a process for you. And it's that we would be challenged on these things, in all things, that as we live life, just like the meme on Facebook, we were not created to pay bills and die. Okay, That we would live as sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Are we bringing acceptable sacrifices to God? I wrote down, are we bringing Jesus the cream of the crop or just the leftovers? Are we bringing Jesus the cream of the crop or are we just bringing him the leftovers? And it's interesting, it says this. It says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. We're going to go into what some of this stuff looks like, but I told you I wanted to hang these first two. Which is your reasonable service. So what is reasonable service? In the Greek, the word reasonable comes from the Greek word logikos. Or logikos. I'm not sure, don't do Greek. Logicos. L O G I K O S. Logicos. Logicos service. That word literally means of the word. Presenting our bodies as holy sacrifice, which is your of the word service. Told you, it's like someone really smart wrote the Bible. It's like, what's reasonable? Uh, it's of the word. Could you show me what it means to perform reasonable service? It's, I wish God wrote a book on it. Literally means of the word. Some of you just want—I just want to know how God wants me. To, I just want to know what God wants for me. How He wants me to act. How my relationship should go. How I should interact with my family. The crazy state of California. The nation. How should I think? How should I act? You're just—you come to us, and Zach and I are just like. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Let me know how it goes. Right? How should I, how should I, how should You want to know what your service is? It's already been laid out for you. Stop acting like there's not a game plan. Right? Like Jesus left. Like, figure it out. Of the word service. Your service is of the word. How do you know what that service looks like? Read a gospel. Right? If our life is to be a little Christ, why don't you study the life of Christ? Crazy. Radical. Revolutionary in American church. Absolutely correct. Now I need a six-step plan to, like, act like Jesus, right? How do I do that in six steps? Why don't you just read all about it? Of the word. Our service is to be of the word. How do you know what our service is supposed to look like if you're not reading the word? Is this, you're going to tell me to read my Bible again? Yes. Yep. Do I hit, do I hit this on the head every week? Do I, I do not read the Bible nearly as much as you think I do, by the way. Some of you think I just wake up just... <laughs> I do not. Zach actually does, but I do not. Like, I just, this is Zach right here, just on an adventure on a mountain somewhere with a God, right? Like, <laughs> you see him on Instagram, you're like, I think he is actually, right? <laughs> not me, I'm on a motorcycle, like, <laughs> right? This is the game plan. This is how service looks. This is what is acceptable and pleasing to God. He's already laid it out. Stop trying to make it rocket science. Right? Pastor Dave Johnson says, read the book, don't wait for the movie. Right? Like, it's right here. It's right here. And so this is the reasonable service, quite literally, service according to God's word. And he says, so present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, Do not be conformed to this world. The world is an active, perpetual rebellion against God. I don't know if you know that. But ever since chapter 3 of this story, we have been actively, as an entire human race, rebelling from God. Chapter 1, it was awesome. Chapter 2, he made people. And then we screwed it all up in chapter 3. Do not be conformed to the world. The world is actively... Ongoingly, perpetually, and always rebelling against God. I don't know if you've gone outside recently, but you can see it everywhere. Do not be conformed. Your body is not your own. So if the world rebels, we submit. We submit to God's perfect and pleasing will. We do not follow that rebellious path. Though we do at times, we do not seek that out we do not pursue that so he says do not conform christians on the other hand are called to be an active perpetual worship of god do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind everyone say transformed i'm going to go back to this word We're not going to hit it now. It says, do not be conformed, but be what? Transformed. Transformed. By what? The renewing of your feels? The renewing of your mind. There is an intellectual pursuit of the things of God. There is an intellectual pursuit of the things of God. It doesn't mean that everything rests in that pursuit, because the Bible and other places shows us we clearly cannot intellectually ascend to salvation. But Paul in other letters constantly challenges our head, our heart, and our hands to understand the right things, to have them influence our passions, to actually work themselves out in service to others. Head, heart, and hands. But he does say be transformed what? By mind over matter. Your body wants to do this. Your mind says that is not of God. Be transformed, which we're going to go back to, by what? A renewing of your mind. Christianity is not about simply feeling differently than the world does. It's about thinking differently than the world does. And if you've ever gone outside, you know that that causes conflict. But if you've studied the life of Jesus, you realize he was constantly amid conflict. And ironically, it was most often with the religious people. You ever notice that he didn't pick on widows and kids and orphans? Who was he tussling with? The religious people, saying, I do know the truth. I'm going to point you to it. And by the way, the biblical definition of hypocrisy is not what someone who sets a standard and fails to meet it. That's called being a sinner. My standard is not doing this. You did it. That's not the biblical definition of hypocrisy. Though that's what politicians would have you believe. That's what actors would have you believe. If you're against, if you're for energy savings and you have a bunch of lights on in your house, right, you're a hypocrite. Not really, you're just a sinner. You just can't meet your own standard hypocrisy by biblical standard when Jesus would call people out is because they were the ones who were supposed to know the truth and they led people astray. People who lead others astray from the truth, that's a hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. You can't find a single place in the Bible where Jesus is like, you failed to meet your standard, hypocrite. Nope. He was talking to the only dudes actually keeping a standard, the Pharisees. He said, you're the hypocrites. Why? Because you're supposed to know that I'm the Messiah and you're telling everyone that I'm not that's the definition of hypocrisy so we we don't we don't simply just feel differently as christians we have to think differently as christians as we offer our bodies as a living public outward facing sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to god by a renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Trick question. Can you prove God exists? Come on, cowards. Let's go. <laughs> like answer the question, <laughs> right? Like, you said it was trick. I'm not answering, right? Can you prove God exists? <clears throat> How many say yes? You have to vote. It's not on video. There's no faces. They just see your bald spot, right? Like you, who believes you can prove God exists? Who believes you cannot? I just like Dane's face during the process. <laughs> I'm going to settle it once and for all. Why? Because it's a big misconception. Atheists come up to you and say, prove God exists. I say, you can't. The Bible never says you can. you kidding me? Not possible. We'll go through this. Beginning of Romans, it says, you can show what of God? Evidence. Evidence. In philosophy, it's known as a categorical error. Okay? If I said to you, watch, if I said to you, prove to me that this pulpit is alive, could you do it? It's a categorical error. This thing is not alive. It never has been. It never will be. You can't say, prove that rock is alive, bios, that it has life. Prove it's alive. I can't. Then that rock doesn't exist. It's a categorical error. Okay? We can only measure things in a finite physical, by, by finite physical measures, Correct? Time, space, matter. We live inside that paradigm, don't we? Anyone here outside of time? Let me know. I want to hang out. Anyone here outside of matter? Right? Outside of space. Some me think you are. You're not. Outside. We can only test things subject to that realm. If God is outside that, if he's timeless, spaceless, and immaterial, they can't be tested by things that can only test within that paradigm. Does that make sense? You can't prove this alive. Why? Because it never was. You can't prove God exists with physical measures. Why? Because he's not physical. Now he came to earth. He smacked us around a little bit on that one. But currently, no, he's outside of space. So any measure of space cannot determine if there's a God. He's outside of time. So nothing subject to time can prove that God exists. It's a categorical error. But the Bible clearly says there's evidence. I love that. He goes. prove God exists. I can't see. Right? But I could show you evidence. It'll always be about faith. If we could prove it wouldn't be a faith. Right? Some guy would just have it. He'd show you, be like, there's the proof. Everyone would just have to believe then, right? So don't don't get caught up in that. But where I was going with that is that he says, prove, he says what? That you may prove not that God exists, but we can prove. We can prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. How do we do that? With our lives. Look, we can't prove God exists, but we can show them what his will is right now. We can show them what is good right now. We can show them what is acceptable and pleasing before him now. Some will be persuaded. Some will not. But this is something that we actually can prove. Question is, how are you doing with that? That's been the question on my heart. How have I been doing at that? Proving what is good. Not, not out there, bar, you know, just beating it over the head of people, but in the way that you live, does it prove what is good by God? If Zach and Pastor Brett and myself, if we just went like hover on you this week, would we be collecting evidence that God exists or not? We can prove the things of God now. We can't prove that God exists. It still has to be a faith. I mean, heck, Jesus was there. He's like knocking on people's foreheads like, I'm here. And people are like, I don't believe it. I don't think you're him, right? But we can prove what is good. Is your life a living sacrifice declaring to people what is good? I'll give you an example. Some of you know I have a little side business, a little t-shirt company. Having a lot of fun with it. Got a lot of stuff going on with it. Had a photographer that had bought a shirt, put it on a model, went and sent it out. And just, oh, cool. You know, it's not like we reposted. It was just, you know, like a girl walking on a log, something awkward like that, right? Like, okay, just wearing our T-shirt. We repost it. And kind of, eh, right? He started to get a little deeper into this female photography stuff. Getting a little more scandalous, right? Unfollow. Not about that in my feed, okay? Just Unfollow. He must have a technology or something. He writes me, like, the next minute. You unfollow. Yeah, I just, just told him. I said, hey, nothing against you. You know, just didn't want some of that stuff in the feet. And then he goes off, and he starts commenting on, like, any photo we had of a girl. Like, look, you can see her ankle. Is that too much? Like, you can, there's her shoulder, you know. blah. He just goes ballistic. Didn't do a thing, just left. Just, no, thank you. We're doing business differently. Gospel-centered clothing brand, though we're not outright, like, beating people over the head with the Bible. The three of us founders, we serve Jesus. We love Jesus. We're going to run business differently than people that don't know Jesus. Not in my feed, homie. It's like I'm, I'm not even in business with you. I just don't want to follow you anymore. He comes back months later. says, go to my profile. I've taken all those photos down. He says, I'm not shooting girls like that anymore. He said, I'm, I'm just not. We did nothing except simply show him what we believe to be good and what's not good. Now that, And I told my designer who's out, and he used to you know, be on staff here, and he's out in Ohio, and he just he, he melted. He's like, that's what it's all about. Just declaring before people openly, publicly, not in a jerkish way, not being jerk or belligerent. Just saying, look, we'll, we're, look we're, just, we're, we're living for things that God lives for and loves, and we abhor things that God abhors. We're just not about sexual glorification of women. And now he's not shooting women like that anymore. By the grace of God. All I did was unfollow, right? You'd be surprised what an unfollow can do to some people's mental stability. Okay? (laughs) The power of Instagram. We're just standing for what's good. It happens. Little stuff like that happens. We're presenting our living sacrifice and that our company is with it. Our company is a living organism. It's a sacrifice that we make before God. So he says, you may prove what it is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now I want to read through some of this, and just I'll, I'll chime in every once in a while, but I just want to read through the rest, and then I'll conclude in terms of what does this look like then? Because Paul's like he loves lists. I dig it. We've <laughs> been going for like eighty-five minutes of so just two verses, but now he's just going to get into like, and I love that about Paul because he's like, I don't want you to like, I don't want to be vague on this stuff. He's like, living sacrifices. Don't worry, I have an 85-point list, right, on what that looks like. I love that. And he's just going to go through. He's going to talk about gifts that we have. So some of you are like, well, then how do I do this? And he's going to press into the gifts, right? How do I do this? And then how do I behave throughout the whole craziness of this whole transformation that I'm going through? And he's going to go through some of the behavior. But Some of you look down and you're like, behave like a Christian. You're like, I don't want to read that, right? Like, that sounds like legalism, Mark, right? I just have to do He says, if you you understand the mercies of God, you're going to want to. This is going to be a privilege to prove to people what is good. Like you're on call right now from God. Be like, hey, while you're there, prove to people what's good. I'm saved by grace. I don't need to. Right? Right? And so he's just going to lay it out. He says, for I say, though, the grace given to me, and this is Paul, look, he says, look, all of this that you've been given was not because you deserved it, it's by grace. Though you did not deserve it, he gave it to you. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, so that just includes, luckily, only all of you, okay? So some of you, nope, no one's out of this. All that are among you, I don't have any gifts, I don't have a ministry, I don't, all of you, okay, all that are among you, not to think of himself, more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That should be comforting, by the way. Some of you think you need to have the faith of your friends. Some of you have that one friend that's just locked on, right? Just the Bible like this all the time, okay? I'm gonna go back to that because I got such good laughs the first time. Okay. You just want, I just want that. And it doesn't mean you're not in a process, but look, God's process for you is not the process he has for them, for your parents, for your pastor. We're dealing with our own set of messes. You don't want my faith. My faith won't save you. He says, look, everyone's been dealt a measure. You need to know when you come across Christians, some are more mature than others. They'd be like, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, because if we're doing our job, people are getting saved and, like, starting at square one, and they're pretty awful at it. Are you a bunch of just young just doing stupid stuff on the weekends? I know, square oneers. I know. They're not as mature. They haven't been in this walk as long. There's a different measure. The world wants it to be like, as soon as you're a Christian, you just act legit, straight up. Just done. Thought you loved Jesus. Right? Other Christians are like, yo, get on board. Where are you at? It doesn't doesn't mean you relinquish your responsibility, but it's a process. You have a different measure of faith. Take comfort in that. Where you are in your faith, God simply has that process for you. You don't have to catch up to anyone. You just need to be chasing after Jesus. Not that he's running. He's like waiting, Okay, by the way. Why is he running from me? I'm not that creepy, right? Most of us are a little creepy. but God has dealt each one a measure of faith. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body but all the members do not have the same function. You ever notice that? You ever notice that your toe can't do the same thing as your finger? ever notice that? Look, some of you can't teach. I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't. That, pastor Rob asked me right back there on a Sunday, what are you doing Wednesday? I'm like, I have a boot camp. Why? Teacher me. I'm like, no. Is that an option? I'll go with C, whatever. I'm like, no. My dad's a pastor. I'm not a, just get up here. And then he's like, be ready, in season, honestly. I'm like, oh, he's quoting the Bible. I don't have to do it. Right? I didn't ask to be a teacher. I've, I've literally had people come up and be like, hey, how do I become a teacher? am like, well, whatever this is, stop, right? Like, start. <laughs> I had a guy right here, like, long time ago, come up and say, like, hey, how do, I, how do I get in the pulpit and do what you do? I'm like, don't be you. Apparently, like, that's crazy. Don't, don't. Look, there's different functions. Many many of you look at my wife, like, ch- director of children's ministry. You know what she did for, like, the first six years we went to this church? On Saturday nights when the whole thing was locked up, she scrubbed toilets and cleaned the whole church. She was on cleaning ministry. Every time, clean, 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 clean. You just see people that quote-unquote arise and stuff. I want to be that. You don't see the path they came up. And there's different roles for everyone. There's different roles. You have a role. The Bible declares that. There's different members and different functions so we, verse 5, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that has been given to us. You don't have to have the same gifts as your friends, your family, your pastor, your parents. You've You've got to get before God and say, what are mine and how do we put them to use? He says, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so he's pressing us on these gifts. And there's other places, if you've got questions about gifts, there's other places we can hone in on. This is what Paul gets into here. And then he wants to get into the section, which is, appropriately or misappropriately, just behave like a Christian. And he says this, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. How's that going? Let me tell you the standard for all this, by the way, because Jesus' love was without hypocrisy. It's just a list of things I have to do. No, it's a list of things that Jesus did do. Him first, us second. Him first, good coach, did everything he asked us to do before he asked us to do it. Love without hypocrisy as Jesus loved. Abhor what is evil, which Jesus abhorred what is evil. Cling to what is good. Jesus clung to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Do you notice how Jesus was kindly affectionate with people in brotherly love? In honor, giving preference to one another. You ever notice how Jesus put others before himself? He's creator God. And he's scrubbing feet. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. If I show up, it's not like Jesus showed up. It's like, I am here. Serve me. Right? I'm better than No, you're not. You do the same thing. Grapes and fans. You do the whole thing. Right? I'm here. King is here. Treat me like a king. King cave. What did he do? He, He served. Put others before himself, clearly. Not lagging in diligence. Some of you just need to, you just need to work harder, by the way. Some of you are just lazy. What's the biblical term for that? Lagging in diligence. Just you're A little lazy. You pep it up this week. Get after it on Monday, right? Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Jesus was not lazy. Worked hard. That's why he could take naps through entire sea storms fervent in spirit we see that his whole, pow- his whole ministry was empowered by the spirit and he served the Lord he said I came not to do my will but the will of my father so how dare he ask me to do the will of God Pfft, God himself came and did the will of the father <laughs> you think you're better than that rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation these are all things that Jesus showed us continuing steadfastly in prayer he left when all of us were sleeping and he prayed he got up before the sun and he prayed Disturbing uh, distributing, disturbing, disturbing the needs. <laughs> that's kind of never. Mind. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. so just mean? So mean, like, yeah, but they deserved it, I know. but still, Jesus blessed those that cursed him. Father forgive them. They know not what they do. And they were murdering him. Tell me about what she said on Facebook and how bad it is. But she unfollowed me. And they were murdering him. And he said, forgive them. They don't even know. They don't even know. Guys, re- relax. Right? Relax with all your chestiness in front of your homies. Like, just live peaceably. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Men don't cry. Pfft. Good luck with that one. Be, on the same, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I struggle with that one. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, I love it. it says if it is possible, because if not, you just like, you don't have to worry about it. But if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it were up to you and your actions alone, there would be peace between. Look, other people are responsible for what they do. I'm leaving, I'm out. If it was reliant on your actions alone, you would be at peace with that person. If they choose to go, so be it. That's why it says if it is possible. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably. So who are you not living peaceably with right now? Who do you have that ongoing grudge with, that fight? Is it a parent? Is it a sibling? Is it a friend? co-worker? Boss? And it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Oh, that'll just really piss him off. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Oh, I want to get under his skin, right? For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire. Like, Let's do that. Let's do coals of fire, right? How do I do that on my enemy? Says, so you want to know how you do coals of, of fire? It's not actually with coals, literalist. It is you feeding them when they're hungry, giving them a drink when they're thirsty, putting it in the hands of God. It says, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I want to go back to this word transform real quick. The Greek word is "metamorphu." Metamorpho, describing a metamorphosis. And it is the same word used to describe Jesus in the transfiguration. It is the same word used to describe Jesus in the transfiguration when he went up on a hill. And it wasn't a miracle, actually. The miracle was that he was contained in a body for 33 some odd years. What he did is he went up on a mountain and he showed to a few. He said, look, and he stretched out his almighty God and he showed them who he was. He showed a select few. He showed them. He says, look, you've put faith in me. You believe that I am God. I will show you that I am God. He transformed in front of them. And they knew that he was God. And then the Bible calls us to transform in the same way in front of people. Not to prove that God exists, but to prove what is good before him. He says, when you transform in these ways, look, here's the thing. Some of you are like, I just wish my friends knew Jesus. I just wish they would learn and love and see and understand what I understand in the Bible tonight, Paul tonight, the Holy Spirit tonight. Jesus himself says, then show them. Transform as I transform. And show them Jesus today. That's the transformation that he wants. Not for our glory, but so that people will see what is good before him in a fallen and lost and broken and dying world. And so I pray that we'd be transformed, not for our own glory, but to show the world the glory of the one who transformed us. Amen?